root source. So anyway, I've got all these analogies of things going on in my mind, but um, yeah, I'm just going to ramble on. I'll let Parky up here to <laughs> ramble on some more. So I'm just going to pray for Adrian as he comes up. And starts his, his live stream to our Canberra campus. Oh, I haven't done that yet, but I will. I love you, man. Mm. Love you too. Lord Jesus, thank you for my big brother, Adrian. Um, please just use him now. Just mm. settle his heart. Settle mm. all our hearts, Lord, as we just come to learn about you and understand the truth of your word and what it means to be revealed and unhidden in this world. Mm. What are we hiding? Mm. Why do we cover it up? Mm. Lord, help us to uncover it and hide the light within us, Lord. Mm. So I just pray for all of us here, Lord, give us ears to hear, give us ears and soft hearts to take this in. Mm. And may your kingdom grow throughout Willowburn. Little, little Willowburn, Lord, may it grow mm. the movements that come out of Willowburn, may they be great and large for mm. your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. No um, can you can you hear me okay through the yep. So welcome Willow Burn and what we're gonna do now is can you hear me? Hello? Oh actually I haven't turned it on yet. <laughs> Here we go. You probably hear me anyway, it's a bit silly really, isn't it? it okay, how are we going now? Got me? Oh, echo. Oh, they're not going to listen. Like, going to listen later. Oh, disappointing. <laughs> they just had a bunch of people drop in. So, anyway, sad face, sad face emoji. Nah, that'll be right. They can listen later. So, this is the first sermon of the decade. Last week was the last sermon of the decade. It's a rare occurrence. It only happens every 10 years where you get to preach the last sermon of the decade and then the first sermon of the decade the following following week so i really encourage you to just go back and have a listen to that i will do a little reprise of that just later on because i think it's really really important does anyone remember the key message from last week stay a while stay a while while. and we kind of tied that into abiding in the lord jesus so we'll talk about that a little bit later this week though for the first sermon of the decade and i hope it's a goodie i hope it's a goodie i think it kind of will to my mind shape all of the 2020s really or it should for christians i believe because i think the 2020s are going to be a decade that are full of troubles and woes and anguish and suffering and also joy also happiness but lots and lots of trials because was 20 was the 20 teens all full of joy fairy floss roses chocolates happiness the whole time it was up and down, wasn't it? That's how life is. Life is full of troubles and woes, joys, happiness. But there is this inexorable suffering that goes on. It might be big suffering. It might be little suffering. It might be emotional. It might be physical. It's going on all the time, isn't it? So I wanted to talk about unhiding the light. And I wanted to start off with a rather unlikely example. I don't know if anyone recognises the person on the, or the, the older gentleman there in the picture. That's Richard Dawkins, who's a famous atheist. And he's one of what's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, four 
big atheists. One of them's died since then, Christopher Hitchens. The rest of them you can look up yourself. But Richard Dawkins has a particular passion for tearing into Christianity, tearing into Christian ideas, and he seems to almost make good sport of it, actually. I think he kind of really enjoys it. And so he came up with this idea to put on the side of a London bus, one of the big red buses, these words. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. You can even get a t-shirt, you can see the lovely lady there who's a model or someone, I don't know who she is, but she's wearing one of the t-shirts. You can organise those uh, yourself later if you want one. There's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. So there's a guy called Francis Spufford, and I'm reading his book at the moment, it's called Unapologetic. And it's not reading for the light-hearted, and I'm almost hesitant to recommend it because it's very raw, it's very much in your face. But the reason he calls it unapologetic is because he's unapologetically Christian in the face of red buses with the sign on the side that say, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And if you think about the way atheists approach things and you think about the way Christians approach things, they even defend it with a thing called apologetics which actually doesn't mean saying sorry, it's a Greek word meaning to give a defence of the faith, but it still has that connotation in English, a very powerful connotation of sort of being a bit sorry, treading a bit carefully and all that Old Testament stuff and all that brutal kind of sacrifice thing that's happening on the cross and these weird ideas about repressed sexuality, uh, you know, the spaghetti monster in the sky type stuff. It's like, oh, we just got to kind of be a little bit careful and what I like about Francis Spufford is he's just like bang no I'm unapologetic and I'll tell you why he's unapologetic he saw this bus and then in his book he describes how he thought to himself hmm there's probably no God now stop worrying enjoy life and then he thought about this old lady and she's trudging home she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders Uh, she her her partner at home is is going through dementia Um, She's actually just pooed herself, put poo all over the the walls. And this lady's trudging home with the bags, the weight of a world on her shoulder. She looks over and sees a big red bus. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. (laughs) And see, the assumption for the atheist is, and the assumption of this sign is, and they're normally so erudite and so intellectual and so real. It's all about ripping down the spaghetti monster in the sky idea and getting you back to reality, the trouble is, is this statement is not real. This statement assumes that joy and enjoyment is just a natural part of life, not a middle-aged, sort of middle-class, uh, well-off person's life. Like, th- th- that's a rare thing. And so this Francis Spufford really highlights that. He goes, what about this lady? She looks up and sees that. It kind of feels, does it great with you? Like, Because when you first hear it, you go, oh, yeah, there's that kind of God who's repressing us. And so if we didn't have God, we could just do whatever we want and it would all be really cool. But it fails to see that life isn't enjoyable most of the time, even for people living in affluent Australia, as we can see right now by fires and all sorts of stuff that are threatening our sense of well-being. So he makes a small point and then a big point. The first small point, and the book goes on, I haven't finished reading it yet, but he says, Francis Spufford says, as accusations, so he's talking about all the accusations that are made against Christianity, as accusations, they may be hodgepodge, a mishmash of truths and half-truths and untruths plucked from radically different parts of Christian history and the Christian world with the part continually taken for the whole, So what he's saying is there's constantly these little parts of sordid Christian history that are almost taken as a whole rather than an aberration. Crusades are an aberration in the Christian message. Absolutely. Jesus would not be, even though he was accused of doing so, would not be ordaining the Crusades. 
He said himself that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. His way was a way of self-sacrifice and love, right? So that's his small point. And I think it's a small point because I think that's pretty obvious. Then it's the big point. And again, the big point is this. The old woman who sees the sign. Because the slogan imagines that life is naturally enjoyable and God's just getting in the way. But again, imagine that old woman. Or, you know, we've got a dear old lady in our church who we've been visiting and she's just being told that there will be no more treatment for her brain cancer. Then we, we need to make this personal. We need to make these kind of messages personal. So imagine she sees this bus or this slogan or someone wearing the T-shirt in the hospital. I don't think they would dare, but let's just say they are. There's probably no God. Stop worrying. Enjoy life. Or right now, my hometown of Coryong has fires all around it. People incredibly scared, anxious, frightened, terrible scenes of destruction. Apocalyptic is the word that keeps getting thrown out there. You know, it's the worst drought in living memory. And a bus rolls through Corion. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. It's like, well, no one's enjoying life right now. <laughs> so your underlying assumption is unreal, imaginary, illusory. It's a spaghetti monster of your own making. <laughs> And yet, there it is. And it's, I don't know, I've, I've, as I've read this book, this is why the unhide the light came out in my heart. Because it's like, why are we always apologising? Why are we always apologising, acting like little scaredy cats, acting like this light that we have is not really worth sharing, it's not really worth talking about, because, well, we might offend someone, or it just doesn't seem real, it's sort of right up there with Santa Claus and fairy tales and My Little Pony. It's, you know, like, and, and let me just tell you that if that was the case for me, if it was just this kind of chimera or this kind of illusory emotional feel-good thing, I'm out, I'm out. I'll tell you, I'm out. I'm not going to preach. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to preach and just say, well, we need to have some sense of God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm actually saying is that this message that we have, which I hope to bring home today, this message that we have is well worth unhiding. This is a magnificent message, my friends. <laughs> this is a very radical message. This is a brave, bold, crazy message. And we, with all this suffering that's going on, we are on our home ground. Do you know know what I'm saying? Like Christianity, wherever there is suffering, wherever there is anxiety, wherever there is distress, wherever there is fear, Christianity is on its home ground. Atheism isn't. Other religions aren't. Christianity is the only religion that I know of where the God of that religion embraces suffering embraces suffering and so straight away as soon as he has embraced suffering but then burst open the tomb and now inspires hope in us that suffering won't be forever you now have the world view you now have the world picture that we all experience which is incredible suffering naturally speaking suffering is going to come death is going to come but there's hope there's hope there's hope so that doesn't try to put one to the side and leave it off there like atheism is doing with this statement everything's cool or even what modern you know what many i guess modern therapies and stuff will try to do try to say well let's try and focus more on the good and let's not think about the bad too much christianity embraces suffering jesus embraces suffering this is magnificent this is unheard of in history no other religion dares to do that and to offer up hope as well Life isn't naturally enjoyable. Life is naturally death-shadowed. I don't say that to be a downer on you in the new year or the new decade. It just is. It's (sighs) suffering-tinted. 
Life is droughts, floods, volcanoes. Enjoyment is something advertisers tell you about. Have you noticed, and Francis Spufford picks this up really well, all the advertising, it's always pretty good-looking people, buff people, happy people, smart people, making good decisions, enjoying life. What? Yeah, and even the ones that are aimed at, you know, your funeral insurance later on, they're like silver-haired people who are still looking pretty healthy and good and they're thinking pretty straight. You know, it's not the person who's got dementia wiping poo over themselves. And I don't, you know, sometimes I don't mean to be naturally, is it scatological, is that the word? I don't need, but, but I want it to come home that suffering is a natural part of life. And whatever worldview you have, you have to kind of take that into account. Yeah, there's joy. Like we, we experience joy, don't we? But here's the difference with our joy. The Bible says that our joy will be actually hinged and anchored to Jesus. So it won't be anchored to the house that can burn. It won't be anchored to the family that can be dysfunctional, get angry at you, do mean things to you and then die. It won't be anchored to your car. It won't be anchored to uh, your beautiful job, your beautiful cosmetics. It's not anchored to that. So when bushfires come and they threaten all of that, when climate change comes and it threatens all of that, what Jesus is saying to all of us is draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What he's saying is, as the psalmist says, who also was filled with fear and distress and anxiety, he says things like, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. So he's going, it's a very realistic psalm. It's like, I'm afraid. And then the next bit is, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. And he didn't even have the cross. He didn't even have Jesus. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came along. So here's the Christian message. John 3, 16. For God, there is a super being. We can see it in the structure and order of the universe. So love, this is very big now. This is radical. This is crazy that this omniscient being can love because that's a relational thing. This is one of the other peculiarities of Christian Christianity. For God so loved the world, the whole world, slaves, people with dementia, people with terrible secrets in their lives, of terrible sins, but God so loved all of them. God loves his creation as well. Doesn't like to see it burning with fires out of control rather than in control. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. God's a giving God. He gives of himself. That's how, he, that's how he's really glorified himself. He could have flexed his muscles, glorified himself that way in one great big thermonuclear wipeout. So just for an instant, we go, oh, God's sovereign, bang, gone. Could have done that. No, instead, he gives of himself. He dies on a cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Somehow there's this three-in-one thing going on, three-in-one beautiful community thing going on with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That what? That whoever believes in him, so you could have the fire bearing down on you right now. You could, you could be about to have the lungs, for, so the air forced out of your lungs by fire. You could be about to see your house go. And for whoever believes, all that is is... Lord, I need you. Lord, I now put my trust in you. I depend on you, whatever happens to my body. Lord, all the things in my past, the things that I've hurt people with, the sins, the dysfunctions, Lord. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, now if I am given more time, I will pledge my allegiance to you. That is what faith is as well. It is to trust and depend and to pledge your allegiance to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes 
shall not what perish so we agree with atheists we're all perishing we're all rotting we're all dying but now jesus says something radical if you will believe if you'll trust if you'll depend on him in the face of these fires in the face of climate change in the face of economic ruin and so forth that is where our hope is to be or it can be there's probably no god so you should stop worrying get yourself a t-shirt or you can get yourself a different t-shirt Let's talk about this different T-shirt. This is a T-shirt which we could describe with one word, light. Light. I hope you like that picture. I've got an expert hand model in for the, for the graphic there. So we're going to do an in-room exercise. In, in, what do I call it? Integrated in-room exercise. Double IRE. All right. It's going to be to do... So, so a great personal expense, I have arranged a simulator. I love simulation. We use simulation in the aviation world all the time. And it's a darkness simulator. But first, let's get our phones out. Let's find the torch app. <clears throat> let's get the torch app out. I'll show demonstrate. Is it on? No. Oh. And then I turned it off. No, oh, you get you turn yours on. So let's hold them up. So now, oh, that's very pretty. Look around. So let's get a picture of that. Yeah, I feel like I need to sway. Hold, hold them towards me. Nice. It's like a Bon Jovi concert out there now. <laughs> so now we've got our light simulator. And what we're going to do before we read again our passage, we're going to talk about the characteristics of light because Jesus has chosen this metaphor for a reason. And actually... Right from the beginning, let there be light, all the way through the Bible, you'll see literally hundreds of references to light. So let's think about light. Thanks for the intro before about light as well. Luke ties in beautifully. So are you ready for the darkness simulator? Sure. Yeah. Right, ready? Oh, we're turning them back. Okay, I'm back. No, I'm back. No, leave them off. But we're about to bring the dark. Okay, three, two, one. On three, two, one, you're going to close your eyes. Three, two, one. Close your eyes. Come on, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, this simulates pitch blackness, right? Where is the darkness coming from? Where is its source? Where is its beginning? Where is its end? Can, can you track its source? If I say, let us find the source of darkness. So I just got his eyes open. Don't trust me. Who knows what I'm going to do out here? But think about it. Now you can open your eyes again. Now imagine that was pitch blackness. And I said, Luke, find the source of the darkness. Where would you start looking? Can you hold up your torch again? So if I say now, let's look at our light simulator, and let's say it was pitch black, and you see light, and I say track the source of it, you'll find it within, I don't know, a couple of seconds. The sun's a bit harder because it's a far, far away, but you'll know where it is, you'll know where to look. So the very first thing I want to see, you can put it down now, the very first thing I want us to notice is that darkness ain't a thing. It's not a thing. It's the lack of a thing. It's actually a lack of light, a light lacquer, <laughs> or a light slacker. I feel like this is turning into a husband. A light whacker. <laughs> lacquer, slacker. It has no direction, it has no bearing, it has no source. But light has direction, bearing, and source. So light always has what I call a highlight. It always, if it's the sun, makes us look up high at the source, like it makes us look at the source. And it also has a wide light. So a high light and a wide light. And the wide light 
is when you put that light on, say it was pitch black, all of a sudden it illuminates everything around it. So it's doing two things. It's saying there's a source, look to the source, and at the same time, it's saying, look at all this stuff. This is how you now see the world. Now you see colour, now you see contours, now you see clearly. And isn't it interesting with, with fire and smoke that we've got at the moment? Lots of heat, but not necessarily much light. Lots of confusion. You know, smoke in itself turns almost like into fog. It's very hard to get your bearings. It's not quite darkness, but it's sort of like a white darkness almost. And you can't see what you're doing. You can't see what's going on. But light brings clarity. And light constantly indicates something beyond itself. So now we're ready to read the verse again. And thanks to Ben for just bringing that out. And I encourage you to read all of the Sermon on the Mount. This is from the very famous Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about the kingdom and what the kingdom looks like, what kingdom attitudes look like in his people, what kingdom behavior look like in his people. Wow, it's confronting. You go through that. 5, 6, and 7, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and take it seriously, wow, you're going to be confronted. Let's just look at one part, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light, light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So let's just look at that first verse. You are the light of the world. I've bolded you. Who is you? Who's Jesus talking to? Yeah, he's talking to his disciples. So at the start of Matthew, we're told when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sitting down, he called his disciples to him. So you have to, some people said, oh, he was only talking to his disciples. But what you have to imagine is, is that at the end in Matthew 7, 28, which is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So imagine Jesus sees the crowds and all scattered around that mountain. He goes up to the top of the mountain. He then says to his friends, his followers, come to me. And he begins to talk to them. But in the background, all the crowds listening but he's talking to them. So when he says, you are the light of the world, it's his followers. Does that sound a bit blasphemous? <laughs> when else are we told someone is the light of the world? Yeah, Jesus. Remember, yeah, you can go back to our John series, John 8. I am the light of the world. Now he's saying, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So the audience, the you, is his disciples. That's really important because what that means is anyone who is a disciple of Jesus is the light of the world. Now, you might not believe me, but actually it's all through Scripture. So these scraggly disciples, these itinerant disciples, these fishermen, um, zealots, one's a zealot. Uh, what else? Oh, a tax collector, state trader. These people are the light of the world. In John 8, 12, we're told when Jesus spoke again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when we believe in Jesus, when we pledge our allegiance to him, when we put our trust in him, what he's saying is if you become my BFF, you're going to be well lit. My light I share with you, you become well lit as well. John 12, 36 says this, put your trust in the light while you have it. So that's Jesus, so that you may become sons of the light. So this is for women as well. Sons in the, in the New Testament generally means like father, like son. It's just saying you will be like Jesus. You will be well lit. Ephesians 5.8, for you were once darkness, but now you are 
light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So when you believe in Jesus and pledge your allegiance to him, what happens is you become one with him. So spiritually, there's a oneness. So straight away, whatever radiance Jesus is emitting, boom, you become a part of it in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, which we're going through more and more this year, you're all sons of the light, sons of the day again, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. It's you. And then he says something really interesting in the next part. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So what we're looking at now is the wide light. So you can imagine a city on a hill, well lit, or you, wherever you go, if you're a light, you're radiating. You go into darkness and you radiate the surrounds around you. Radiate's probably not a good word, but you illuminate. There's radiance, light, there's contour, there's colour. People can see what's going on. Now, he says here, A city on a hill can't be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives a light to everyone in the house. Now, Jesus is using a device, a literary device, or a teaching device that he's actually really, really... He likes to use a fair bit. I've called it an A-triple-S. An ass. I hope I'm not offending anyone. This is an autosuggestive self-silliness paradox. It's an auto-suggestive self-silliness paradox. So it's auto, so it happens automatically. It suggests some part of silliness, self-silliness within you that Jesus is trying to illuminate with light. So it's a bit of a paradox, a parable that shows the silliness of a situation and then flips it onto you. <laughs> okay? So you think about it. He's going, a city on a hill can't be hidden. So if it can't be hidden, why are you hiding it? It's silly. Stop being an ass. No, <laughs> I, I, I added that bit. Now, this morning I was really super encouraged because our daily bread, which as you know is a devotional, famous devotional, is probably one of the most famous ones online where you can go and get a daily reading from the Bible and a bit of explanation. And Kerry said, hey, have a look at 5th of January. Can you see what's 5th of January, 2020? <laughs> my passage. Well, it's not my passage. You are the light of a world. It says they're a town, but oh, that's the translators trying to tidy things up. It's a city. Let's go with city. Built on a hill, cannot be hidden, shining the light. That's today. Well, yeah, close to today. We get it today anyway from a guy called Dave Brennan. And what he says is that, that ancient cities were often built of white limestone. So even in the day as you were approaching the city, particularly a city like Jerusalem, it would have gleamed. And what Jesus is saying is try and hide it. Try and hide a city like that. Now try and hide what I've given you. Try and hide my light. If you are hiding the light, it's, stop being silly. Just silly. It's time to unhide the light. It's time to be unapologetic. So how does this, how does this widespread radiance occur then? Um, and maybe it's better to put it this way. Maybe we ask the question, how are we going as being people of light, as a city of light, as you are the light. How how are we going with that? It seems like a lot of Christians maybe are, and maybe we can fall into this tendency, there's a lot of heat about us, like a bushfire. We like controversy. We like thinking we're fighting for doctrine and so forth, but we do it completely without love, without care for people. And you cause little conflagrations, fire wherever you go, and you think you're doing the right thing but it's just like one of these big destructive bushfires. It's not really doing anything. Well, maybe we're just the opposite. 
we've been scared and apologetic and we haven't yet truly understood the depths to which Jesus has stooped for us, the magnificence of God's love for us. We think it's all about God as a judge, an angry judge in the sky instead of a Jesus who has come and died for us. And perhaps this is Richard Dawkins' problem because it certainly intimates that, doesn't it? Or you're going to be judged if you do the wrong thing instead of seeing that the judge has come and died on a cross in an extraordinary display of well-lit love. I don't know. How are we going? You know, all of this series into the year for me and then Luke and Ben will be doing their own month to month. But all this for me is that third Sunday where you are out in the community and, you re- and, and, and they need this light. They, they need it so badly. We see it so clearly now. Well, you can't put your hope in the government. You can't put your hope in your houses. You can't put your hope in other people. They need the well-lit light of the gospel. So I just encourage you, I'm not going to go harp on about this too much, but I'm encouraging you to rethink Remember how we're going to have that rhythm, rethink, rework. So rework next week, just looking at how we can put this into practice. But rethinking today, I want you to rethink your ASSS situation. Because Jesus wants us to rethink it. He wants us to see our self-silliness. To see our lack of reality. To see our lack of kind of engagement. And you know, like, I'm like you, hey, I have my good days and my bad days. I have my well-lit days and I have my rather dark days. But what I want you to do and what I want all of us to do is to rethink, to come back to the Lord Jesus in prayer and ask him to make us well-lit. And whatever it is, is it clogging up, contaminating that light? I'm just asking that that would be changed. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail about this next bit, which is that they may see your good deeds, but I did want to talk about it just for a little bit. So John Tyson, some random on Twitter, I like his quote. Basically, how you live is what you believe. Everything else is just talk. So how you, how you act, these are the good works. That, that it's a metonym, it's, it's a part metaphor for your life. It's, it's what people can see of you. It's the tangible things that you do, the way that you carry yourself. It is your words, of course, as well, but it's the total part of life. And what Jesus is saying is that you, you are the light of the world. Tim Keller, famous preacher, I'm sure you've heard of him. The gospel was spread in the early church by personal conversations and life examples, not through programs, not even through preachers. That's Tim Keller. And he got in a lot of trouble for saying that. A bit of a bushfire erupted on Twitter over it. Matthew 5.16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Ephesians says, It's by grace you've been saved from faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by your works. Okay, You can't work yourself into salvation, but you can certainly express it. Express your oneness with Jesus because the next bit says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So you do it in partnership with him, in unity with him, in oneness from him, drawing love, joy, peace, patience from him, the eternal reservoir of all that is good. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then 2 Thessalonians, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power... He may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be well lit in you or glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Think about that. Think about through this decade, the rhythms, um, the things that you've committed to do. Think about the last decade. Think about how well lit you've been. Think about how radiant you've been, how different to the world that you have been. And I don't say this as a condemnation. I say it as an encouragement. Who cares what happened in the last decade? It's all about the 20s now. And Jesus always gives us a new start. Always. When we come to him and we want to change. So what are these works? We're going to go through them next week. We're not going to do it today. But I want you to know that they're actually in the Beatitudes. So we'll go through the Beatitudes. And what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to show you how there's a highlight to the Beatitude and a wide light. Each Beatitude. And these attitudes, these kingdom attributes, when they're embodied in you, you're like little beacons wherever you go. Wherever you go. Amazing stuff. And what happens there is there's good works at unexpected times. There's good attitudes at unexpected times. There's love when anyone, everyone expects hate. There's hope when people expect fear. There's peace when there's climate change and bushfires and cancer. You know, how, how we need to unhide the light now, hey? We're like, yeah. Last night, my mum said, oh, can you call your, du- your brother? It was late at night because uh, he's really upset because, as you know, he's had cancer. He's got Down syndrome. He's sort of in remission, but there's always that ogre that's lurking there. And then there's fires all around him, so he was super stressed out. So I rang him up and I prayed for him and I said, oh, do you want to pray? And far out. I don't think I've heard a more powerful prayer. <laughs> and David, as you know, because he's Down syndrome, I think many of you have met him, he can't necessarily articulate words very clearly but I understood his words perfect with perfect clarity and it was kind of an interesting prayer because he was obviously praying for deliverance from cancer that the cancer cells would be stopped he was praying about the fires he was praying for the rain and it kept getting this point where he thought he was going to finish so he'd be saying things like in the powerful glorious mighty name the mighty name and you'd think you know, and then you think there'd be an amen coming, but it was actually just chapter one of the prayer. <laughs> and then he keep going and keep going. And I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking right now, David, can I give you a T-shirt? The T-shirt says there's probably no God. It's ridiculous. Who's being unreal here? You know, for, for David, he has his own doubts and struggles and things like that. But then he talked about the powerful name Emmanuel, which is a name that I gave him when he was in hospital and said, Emmanuel, God with us. No matter what happens, God is with us. And he's promised a new body, a new life. But right now he's promised to be with us. But how about others? How about other Davids? How about other Barbs that don't have this hope? And we're just, we're just hiding it. Stop being silly. Stop being an ass. Seriously. You know, Jesus had no problem calling his disciples nincompoops in Greek. You know, you know, how foolish you are. He said it many times. Like, if we're just being asses, honestly. We're being asses. If we've got this glorious truth within us that even my Down syndrome brother can see and clings to with a fervent hope, what is the matter with us? What is the matter? I want a T-shirt that just says Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And when people say, oh, is that your name? No, it's not my name. Well, it's sort of is my name. It's the name of my God. Oh, really? Maybe I'll get a tat, Emmanuel. <laughs> Gary's not keen. Make sure it's in Greek or something. Yeah. 
uh, spelt home ground. It's supposed to be home, home ground, home ground. <laughs> so right now you have the home ground advantage, actually, because you have a hope that pierces through death, through suffering, through bushfires. You have a hope that isn't dependent on all that stuff, is it? So you, you are actually on your home ground now. Just as Christians have been all through history when they've been persecuted or when there's been terrible calamities and stuff happening, even if God was to allow your life to be taken right now, you have this eternal hope that's burning brightly, that's, that's well-lit, it's radiating out. You know, as, as the psalm says, I, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. I would love for us to grow more and more into this radiance in 2020. I would love for us to unhide the light. I feel like I should ramp up the volume. Unhide the light. Unhide it. Unhide it for that old woman. Unhide it for that cancer person. Unhide it for the people that are super stressed out about bushfires. I can almost guarantee that suicidality is going to increase over the next few years. It's continued to increase. Mental health is going to continue to increase because people's spirits are decoupled from their creator. They are decoupled from this oneness and this unity and this intimacy that you get to enjoy, even in a small way. They've got nothing at all. So David's prayer, my prayer, our prayer in this season of fire-induced anxiety should be a prayer of hope. Get some Psalms, memorize them, Preach them to yourself. I woke up the other night in the middle of the night at 4am and started worrying about the fires, started worrying about work, worrying about um, other things. And then I just have the verse. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I'll not be afraid. And it is almost like light for the fog or the smoke in my soul in that moment. I really encourage you to become more intimate with God's word. If you're not memorizing it, I don't know why not. It's, it's your lifeline. It's supernatural. It's the, it's the highlight. It's the light that brings us back to the Lord. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So I encourage you to rethink. And I encourage you to remember last week as we finish off here, the one thing that was necessary. Do you remember what the one thing was necessary? From Mary and Martha was to stay a while to abide in God. God gave me a reminder of another verse this week for that, which is from Isaiah. And it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In repentance and rest is your rescue. Okay? And in quietness and trust is your strength. Think about that. So this is God's word. It's the prophet Isaiah, and he's giving it to people that are under siege. They're literally under siege. And Isaiah says, in repentance and rest is your rescue. In quietness and trust is your salvation. And then the next bit says, does anyone know? But you would have none of it. So this is where your choice comes in. Your choice, your God-given, free, libertarianly free choice, which is so beautiful. People didn't even talk about it until Christians came along. It was all determined, fatalistic. Then Christianity came along all of a sudden. Hey, people are free to choose. Even the, the slave can choose. Wow. In repentance and rest is your rescue. In quietness and trust is your salvation. Please don't be, but I would have none of it. Now's the time. Now's the time to take action. Now's the time to choose God. Now's the time to stay a while in the morning. I encourage you again, if you're not in the Word, giving the first part of the day to time in the Word, even if it's boring. I have so many boring quiet times. <laughs> I have more, probably 9 out of 10 are just boring. They're just boring. 
But over time, these rituals shape us. They have shaped me. They shape me for times like this where I don't need to be afraid of fires and stuff because for years I've been soaking in God's promises of ultimate rescue and ultimate restoration. If you don't have that, if you've been soaking in your binge watching of Netflix and you've been on Twitter and you've been on games, like, you know, I could play games, I love games. But if that's all you've got, if you haven't given the first part of your day, you don't have the necessary rituals, rhythms, processes in your life that are shaping your soul towards God. And God is saying, choose now. Choose now. You get to choose. Don't wait for the lightning bolt from God that says, bang, now I'm going to want to do it. No, no, you, you just get on your knees or in the morning make the time and make it happen. Otherwise, you will not be well lit because you won't be staying a while, you won't be abiding, and therefore you won't be operating out of the fullness of that walk with God's Holy Spirit. Is that fair enough? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Please, will I burn, abide in Jesus, and he will abide in you. You will then bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So the next two Sundays, we're prepping up for that third Sunday. And we're going to move into a time of communion now. And I just think about the beauty and the strange light that almost emanates from that table because it's a table of suffering. It's a table where Jesus sat with his disciples and he told them about the cross. He told them about the suffering that was to come. But he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm sending a counsellor who will remain with you. That's all the... That's all the the, the words that, and, and the conversations that hover over this table originally. So I really want to encourage you to, this year, as we come to communion, and you abide in him for a while, and you stay a while, and you see how this one act of sacrifice has so brought, brought so much light to the world, so much light and hope to slaves and people that were in terrible suffering. I just want you to be reminded of that now, and reminded of Jesus and to draw close to Jesus. In repentance and rest is your rescue. In quietness and trust is your strength. So come here, drink, eat, draw strength for this period. It's a hard period. This summer is only just starting. We've got many more months of this, many more months of hearing of fires, of uh, people suffering in our own country. So we want to be people of prayer, people of rest, people who are staying a while. We want to be unhiding the light wherever we can to talk about the hope that is in us. We want to help out physically if you've got connections and there's time that we want to help out. Maybe we resurrect our fencing program. I don't know, but that's what it's all about. I'm done. Let's rest. Let's just rest now for a few minutes, just in quietness, and then we'll come to the table.